read Zechariah, Zechariah 13. Verses 7 to 9. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man my associate, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. And it will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it, and I will bring the third part through the fire. Refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. Amen. You may be seated. We looked last time at um, the last half of verse 7 to the first half of verse 9. In verse 7, God calls for a sword against His shepherd. Um, His faithful shepherd, His true shepherd, the good shepherd. And God calls for a sword against Him. And uh, as we saw last time in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, those who gathered together against the Lord were actually doing God's will. God called for this sword against the shepherd. And it says in Acts 4.27, Peter preaching there, he says, Truly, in this city, or maybe I guess it's a, a prayer that they're having there, Truly in this city, uh, we're gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you just did anoint. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the uh, peoples of Israel, gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ, what? To do whatsoever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. So, even this uh, striking of the shepherd. And the great crimes that were committed there, ultimately God was behind it. They gathered together to do whatever He determined beforehand would occur. And so it's God who calls for the sword against the Lord Jesus Christ. Not Pilate, not Herod. No man takes my life from me, He said that. It was the Father who purposed this. And from the foundation of the world, purposed His death for our sins. And so God calls for this sword in verse 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man my associate declares the Lord of hosts, Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered. And this is what we looked at last time. As a result of this smiting, the sheep were scattered. And the Lord Jesus refers to this on the eve of His crucifixion and says this refers to what was going to happen to the disciples. You will all fall away, or you'll all stumble tonight because of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So the initial fulfillment of this was in the scattering of the disciples. But uh, we saw last week, or last time, that this seems to have a broader reference than that. Um, 
He goes on and says that he'll turn his hand against the little ones and that in all the land, the majority of them will perish and be destroyed. And uh, um, it seems that ultimately this has reference to the flock. You know, he said he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and so on. It seems that ultimately this has reference to the flock of Israel. And as a result of them rejecting the Messiah, they were scattered and finally most of them were destroyed. And you remember in chapter 11, this was foretold. Jesus came and He shepherded, pastored the flock doomed to slaughter. He came to the Jews, came to His own. He was a faithful shepherd to them, but they were a flock, by and large, they were a flock doomed to slaughter. And that's what happened. And so we have in uh, verse 8, God declares that in all the land, two parts of them will be cut off and perish. And that happened in A.D. 70 when Titus came in with his armies. And all these Jews were gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover. Millions, I don't. I think it's something like two million or more. I don't remember for sure. But there was a massive amount of Jews gathered in there. And... Um, uh, it was a horrible, if you read the account of the destruction of Jerusalem, it was a horrible, horrible thing that took place there. But, you remember Jesus had warned the Christians beforehand in the Gospels. He said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded with armies, then you flee to the mountains. And the Christians remembered that and they got out of there. And as a result, the third part is not cut off and did not perish. And so uh, a minority were saved and spared. Now what happens to this, ma- this minority, this third part, that is spared? Well, he tells us in verse 9 that the third part is brought through the fire. And if you look back at church history and what happened uh, to the early church and those centuries of persecution through the Roman Empire, uh, historically, they were truly brought through the fire. Unbelievable. And uh, I like the words here, though, don't you? I will bring them through the fire. God brings. He doesn't just throw you in there. He carries you. And it says, I'll bring them through the fire. He doesn't leave you in the fire uh, to destroy you, but rather He brings you through the fire in order to refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. The refining, we talked about that. <clears throat> you heat up this metal. I think I'm going to need some water, David. Could I ever get some? <clears throat> you heat up this metal. No, that's good. Go on back. That'll be good. Go back and get it. <coughs> you heat up this metal. The dross comes to the top. You scrape the dross off and refine the silver. So that's part of the picture. And then secondly, he says, I will test them as gold is tested. I'm going to get my drink before I go on. What's it mean here? Well, you take this gold, heat it up in the fire to test it. Same word 
And we have the word try or even the word tempt. But you heat it up in the fire to test it in order to reveal the purity of it. It's not always just to get the dross off, but you can test something. You test and test and see how pure it is. Somebody gives you this thing of gold and says, you know, here's, here's a pound of gold. Well, it might be a pound and it might not. There might be a bunch of stuff in there, impurities. And so you heat it up to test it. <clears throat> now, God does that too. And you remember in the case of Job, Job was put through all these fiery trials and then God brags on him. He says to the devil, have you considered my servant Job? Look, he still holds fast his integrity even though you incited me to smite him without cause. And so God sometimes sends the fire, the trials in to test us to show so that he can get glory over the devil to show what he's done in our lives. It's amazing. Sometimes he's sending trials not not because there's something wrong that we've done, but because of the opposite. He wants to get glory to show. He said, look at this. He says to the devil, look at this. I've got some pure gold here. The devil says, that's not pure gold. There's all kinds of dross in there. We said, okay, let's heat it up. I'll, I'll test it. I'll show you that it's pure gold. And so that's part of what's going on. The uh, refining, taking off the dross, and the testing to reveal the purity. And we considered last time <clears throat> the preciousness implied in this, this picture that God uses. He calls us gold and silver. And also, we considered the painfulness implied in this. There's a heating up and a refining, and a, a terrible fire many times involved. And then thirdly, we saw the goal in view, that God does it in order to purify us and test us and bring glory to His name. Psalm 119, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Well, there's, a, there's a result of this thing. It's not just pain for the sake of pain. Um, Psalm 66, let me just read that to you again. He says, Thou hast tried us, O God, Thou hast refined us as silver is refined. Thou didst bring us into the net. God brought us into the net. We didn't just trip into it, but He brought us into it. Thou didst lay an oppressive burden upon our loins. Thou didst make men right over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet... Thou didst bring us out into a place of abundance. Well, that's the situation here in Zechariah 13. And that's what I want us to spend just a little time on here today. At the end of verse 9, the result of this refining is an abundant place, a place of abundance. What will be the result? Well, he says this is what's going to be the result. And this is a promise of what will be true in every Christian. And that is, they will call upon my name. I will answer them. I will say they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. This is promises related to Christians and the result of this refining. Now, just, uh, just a few thoughts on this today in the time that we have left here. First of all, God says as a result of this fire, 
They will call on my name. That's a promise. They will call, not they will fall. They will call, not they will fall away. And we have that in Romans. Let's look up a couple verses on this. Romans 5. These are amazing verses. Romans 5 and verse 3. Paul says, not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Now, if we were looking at it, we'd th- we might think pers- uh, tribulation brings about falling away. And it does for some people, but not for Christians. The tribulations and the fire and the difficulty for a Christian makes them call on the name of the Lord. They call out all the more. In other words, it's just like the song, The flame shall not harm me. I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. And so the promise here is, Paul says, we can exult in tribulations knowing that they're going to produce perseverance in our lives. And so for the Christian, when the trials come, the roots go down deeper, they start crying out to God. God starts burning away the dross. Now that is grace. That is grace. When instead of you remember what what happens to the word that just goes in a little ways the superficial the word goes in a little ways immediately with joy they receive it and as soon as tribulation or persecution arises because of the word immediately they fall away so persecution reveals false faith and also reveals true faith the one it produces falling away the other one it produces perseverance amazing the exact opposite result in the true christian because of the grace of god and so he actually says here in romans 5 3 tribulation works perseverance it actually brings about continuing on isn't this something if you leave a christian alone and they don't ever have any trials and tribulations they're more likely to fall away then And it's a result of the tribulations that He works perseverance. He actually causes us to persevere by sending tribulations on us. Acts chapter, or I mean James chapter 1. Another very encouraging word here. James 1 and verse 2, very similar to Romans 5. Consider it all joy, my brethren, When you encounter various trials, testings. Now how could you consider it joy when you encounter a trial? Well again, knowing something, verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Same idea. It produces endurance. Causes you to dig in and to persevere and to endure. This is grace. And this thing of, uh, back to Zechariah 13, it says, they will call on my name. That is actually a promise of the new covenant that Christians will call on the name of the Lord. Um, let me just uh, take the time here just for a minute to look up a couple of these verses. Jeremiah 29. 
um, verses 11 to 13. <clears throat> I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. It's a promise, you see. It's not a commandment. It's a promise. This is what God's going to do in His people. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Promises of what He's going to do in His people. One more, Zephaniah 3.9. A promise. He says, For then I will give to the people's purified lips that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve Him shoulder to shoulder. So another promise. He'll he'll give us purified lips to call on the name of the Lord. Acts 2.21 It shall come to pass in the last days that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Christians are those who are calling on the name of the Lord. By grace. And um, it's the Spirit of God that does that, that enables us to do it. Psalm 80, verse 18, Quicken thou me, and I will call upon thee. So the first thing here, the result, they will call a promise. And then number two, I will answer. It is a glorious thing. We should not take this for granted that God has promised to answer us when we call on it. Let me give you a contrast. You could be in this predicament. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they shall not find me. You don't have any guarantees. I mean, there's a day coming when men will call on the Lord and seek Him diligently. And He won't answer and, and you won't find Him. But when he's, he's promising here, He says, they'll call on me and I'll answer them. What a condition of grace to have this promise. God says, I'm working in you. Now this is something, isn't it? A lot of times we won't call upon the Lord and we don't call upon the Lord and finally He puts us in the fire to get us to where we will call upon Him. And when we do call upon Him, He promises He'll answer us. I will answer them. I will do it. Um, Let's just read two or three verses on this. Psalm 34. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. Verse 17, the righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. There they are in troubles and then what do they do? They cry to the Lord and what's he do? Deliver them. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And then in Psalm 50, verse 15, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue or deliver you, and you will honor me. And one more, Psalm 91. This psalm about the shadow of the Almighty. 
verse 14 to 16, he says, Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I'll satisfy him and let him behold my salvation. Christian, any Christian here today, call on the Lord. He promised that he'll answer you and deliver you. He he has a special love for you. And he has promised that he will answer you when you cry. He'll call on me. I'll answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. Are you in trouble? Something bothering you, some distress. God says, I, I'll, I'll, I'll come when you cry. I'll hear you. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll rescue him. And not only that, he says, I'll honor him. I'll honor you if you're a Christian. You call on me and I'll answer you. Well, thirdly, in Zechariah, he says, I will say to them of them that they are my people. I'll call them my people. Two verses on this I want us to look at. What a thing this is when God says, that person is one of mine. I will say they are my people. Two verses. Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. God promises here, I will sow her for myself in the land. I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who were not my people, You are my people. And they will say, Thou art my God. Same promise. And Paul refers to this in relation to us in Romans chapter 9. Romans 9, verse 25 and 26. He's, he says in 23 that God <clears throat> wants to make known the riches of His glory upon vessels of mercy which He prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom He also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles, as He says also in Hosea. You know, He's going to quote this verse. I will call those who were not my people, my people. Now that's talking about us. We were Gentiles. We were not God's people. He says, I'm going to call them my people. And I will call her beloved, her who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. So I will say my people. It's a promise of what He's going to do for this third part that's saved out, out of destruction and that goes through the fire. He says, I'll say, they're my people. And He doesn't say they ought to say, the Lord is my God, but He says they will say. And that's true of every Christian. And really, if you want a commentary on this last part, the very last part of this verse, the 23rd Psalm, 
That's what a Christian says. The Lord is my shepherd. That's the Lord's my God. I shall not want. Every Christian's glad to say that. The Lord is my God. The Lord is my shepherd. He's going to take care of me and lead me. And um, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Well, those are the results of this being brought through the fire. And if you think about it historically in church history, um, what it was like for those Christians. I mean, smite the shepherd. The sheep are scattered. The flock of Judaism is destroyed. Almost the majority of it is destroyed. But the third part is saved. And he says, and he warns them ahead of time, and what a comfort this must have been to the early church when you think of those hundreds of years of blood and persecution, to read those verses in Zechariah where God says, I'm going to bring them through the fire and purify them. And that's what he did. And the church was purified in those days of persecution. It's always been the same. Think of China whenever the persecution came upon the church and the work that God did during those years of persecution. Um, After a while, Satan changed his tactics, didn't he? After 300 years of it not working, trying to destroy the church, then he switched tactics. Constantine, you know, professed conversion. And now all of a sudden, Christianity is the state religion. You can make a lot of money by claiming to be a Christian. He put his arm around the church, said if it's not going to work to do this, I'll put my arm around the church and try to destroy it that way. And the true Christians, again, God kept the true Christians, and what happened now? They continued to go through the fire, only now they were being killed by professing Christians. That was the only thing that changed. Um, and God has continued to keep His people and call cause them to call on His name, and He's continued to answer them, and He's continued to say, those are My people. And they have continued to say, the Lord is our God. And that will happen right up until the end, the consummation. Well, praise the Lord. Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we, we are so thankful for these um, words here where you assure us that you are the one bringing your people, not just throwing them into the fire, but bringing them, carrying them through the fire. And that it has a reason and that it shows how precious they are to you. And Lord, we thank you that uh, you do these things. And even the chastening, you said that... um, No chastening seems joyful, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness in those that are exercised by it. Lord, we thank You for everything You're doing, every difficulty, everything You use to work in us the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And um, we thank You said we had earthly fathers who discipline us as it seemed best to them but but you discipline us for our good for that we might become partakers be made partakers of your holiness and we we thank you we thank you for this promise at every difficult time in the christian life every trial every 
every uh, furnace of affliction will, instead of causing us to fall away, it will cause us to call upon you more and to know you more and cause you to answer more. And um, we thank you, Lord, that you're not ashamed to be called our God. We think of how you, you said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That you would identify yourself with those men. It's amazing. And uh, you identify yourself with us and you say, I, I am the God of those people. And Lord, we're thankful to identify with you and to say, the Lord is my God. The Lord is my shepherd. We thank you for all these mercies and blessings. Pray that you'd be with us now in this time of fellowship together in the meal. Direct our hearts to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's be dismissed and continue our fellowship together. I forgot to announce something. I brought back some souvenirs.